In this episode, we focus on Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this season, Tim Dunn and Joey Willis walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse by verse, discussing what is being revealed about the nature of God, our world, and our most adequate response to it. Grab your Bible, some note-taking supplies, and pull up the BibleSays.com commentary on Ecclesiastes as we take a deep dive into the deep truths of Ecclesiastes. Rich with humility and hope, uncertainty and purpose, mystery and faith, this book is sure to challenge your perspective on what it means to live life well. Verses 12 through 17. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what he has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity, for there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. So you you see him here. You know, he just got a hint of enjoying his work, and now his uh, everything's his work under the sun is is grievous to him. So he's struggling with this uh, this strange dichotomy of the fulfillment of work, but also uh, the lack of the manifestation of that fulfillment in this life, as Tim was just talking about. So what we see in this little passage, which is so important to the point of Ecclesiastes is a very real and frank conversation about what wisdom does and doesn't do. Uh, Wisdom invites us to know God by faith. It invites us to trust God. It invites us to a a better attitude and perspective about what it means to be a disciple and a person in this world. What it doesn't do is change all of our circumstances to align our emotions and the things, our reason and our, the things we experience to fit exactly the way we would like them to be. And again, this is one of the reasons I really love the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not pulling any punches. It's saying, you want wisdom? Wisdom's great. Wisdom by itself is not the answer. Wisdom is an avenue to get to the answer. So if you rely on wisdom in and of itself, Uh, And if you aim that wisdom towards your own reason, your own experience, you're going to end up in the same place the fool is going to end up. You end up in the same set of circumstances as the fool. One of the things that uh, Kylie and I talk about pretty often is a lot of the apocalyptic predictions that people have for the end of the world. You know, it's every 20 years or so, someone's got the math figured out. Some new new end. Yeah, there's some new way that's going to end. And the funny thing about that is we're all heading towards an apocalypse. (laughs) We're all going to die. It could be the world ending or a heart attack or a bus hits me tomorrow, but I'm heading towards a personal Mm -hmm. apocalypse. I cannot 
escape that. And so when people talk about this could be the, the end times, you know, the world, I'm like, okay, great. Well, so what, you know, yeah. so what do we do then? Are we supposed mm-hmm. to try to prevent it? Cause the Bible doesn't really say that. Uh, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to continue to be faithful witnesses. We're, we're supposed mm-hmm. to continue to exercise and steward our character and participate in the kingdom of God. So what Solomon is, is bemoaning here is my wisdom's not going to prevent my apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I still, even with wisdom, even with all the gifts that, I, that have been given me, all the godly gifts that have been given me, I still am, am a temporary person in this world. And I've done all these great things. Look at all these great things. I'm a great man, and I've done all these great things, and there's a bum who's done nothing. Maybe he's just drinking himself to death on the curb. And we're both going to have exactly the same outcome. Mm. We're both going to die. And then we're both going to be forgotten. And, you know, Solomon's name is remembered on, but we don't really know Solomon. You might give an endowment and have a stadium named after you, but it's just a word. Mm. Nobody, Nobody knows who that person really is. And Carnegie named a bunch of stuff after him, but... How many people really know that much about Andrew Carnegie unless you really studied in it? You know, so, um, yeah, he he just, he looked at it and he said, you know what that makes me think? The result of all this? I just hate it. So at least, at least the bum is oblivious. Maybe, maybe, you know, he may be miserable, but he doesn't hate life. And here is Solomon. His result of all his great activity is he just hated life. You know, the 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 uh, suicide rate has doubled in the United States in the last twenty years, so uh, there's a lot of people that are hating life mm. in the United States, and and uh, maybe it's because they're trying to figure things out, and they're coming to this kind of conclusion on their own. I mean, this is going to be my ultimate outcome anyway, and I'm not that happy, so why not just get it over with? Well, we're going to find the answer to that. Life actually does have great meaning. It does have great promise and great purpose, but it's in the process, not the result. Well, again, Solomon, even in this passage, gives a hint. He gave a hint with enjoying his work in the last passage. He gives one here. He says, wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in the darkness. So even though wisdom and even though wisdom doesn't prevent us from uh, you know, from death, from the same end as a fool. It's still better to be wise because at least we get to walk in this world seeing things for the way that they are instead of walking in darkness, just crashing our ankles against things over and over <laughs> and over again. And so that that being able to see doesn't prevent the reality that this life is coming to an end, but it does add a sense of value and opportunity for us to make the most out of the short time that we do have here. If but he there's a there's a real cautionary tale a real warning in here again he's in the mode of can I discern meaning and purpose through reason and experience and he says if you're going to take that path here's what you can expect grief futility and trying to strive after the wind if you're going to try to find meaning purpose happiness through reason and experience pleasure um, you're all you're going to get is futility. It you will not find it. That's that's something that's worth embracing. 
Solomon, the wisest man, is giving us a true reality. Uh, all of us are going to try this to some extent, mm-hmm. and hopefully we'll come to reality as quickly as possible <laughs> so we can save ourselves uh, trouble. It's really to save trouble for ourselves. Eight, three, verses 18 through 23. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Tim, you uh, you told us once about, I don't know if it was a study or some something that you had heard about wealth inheritance and, and how usually it's like the third generation where things start to fall apart in terms of, uh, all right, like it's far enough where, yes. The first makes it, the second preserves it, the third squanders it. It's kind of something like that. Something like that, right. Mm -hmm. So Which is funny because the idea, Solomon's got two options here with that reality in mind. The first is that by the third generation it's squandered, in which case Mm -hmm. it's all gone. The other option is that someone breaks that cycle, and by the third generation, what they've done is made it their own, uh-huh. in which case Solomon is forgotten, forgotten either way. And so he's he's kind of in this idea, of, uh-huh. again, of like, all right, I'm going to work so hard. And uh-huh. we talk so much about wanting to hand things down to our children in a material sense. And Solomon's like, it's, you know, it's they or their kids or the kids after that are going to squander it or rebuild it in their own name and forget, like, just what's the point? You know, why... Why do I put so much thought and effort to it? And even at night, I'm sitting there thinking, like, how do I be immortal? How do I keep my legacy alive mm-hmm. forever? And it's a real evil. It's a real, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a real, like, shackle, a real perversion. It keeps us kind of under under a thumb here, that constant idea of how do I make myself eternal, uh, immortal? How do I keep my name from it living on forever and ever in this world? Yeah, and the, and the answer is you can't in this world. But again, glory, honor, immortality in, in God's kingdom, that can be done. But it's not done through building monuments to yourself and elevating yourself. It's done through serving. And the, the kind of things that God uh, gave as examples of service were cups of cold water in my name. Now, a cup, a cup of cold water back in that time would would have been trouble. I mean, you go to the cistern or you go to the well. If it's cold, that means it's probably freshly drawn. So you go to the cistern, you go to the well, you draw the water, then you give it to somebody. So it's trouble, but it's also work of a woman in that frame, So this or work of a servant. So it wasn't the prestigious thing mm-hmm. in that culture. So it's trouble and non-prestigious, but you're doing it in the name of Christ. That's the basic idea. So here's Solomon trying to build something and going to a lot of trouble to build something for his own prestige, and he's realizing it won't last. 
And you got the New Testament that's telling us, and, and Solomon's going to tell us the same thing, okay? But it's telling us the way to make it last is to do it for other people, not for your own prestige. And the irony is, if you do it for other people, God gives you great prestige in his kingdom. So um, it's, it's the paradox again. It's the hebel. It's the vapor. If you try to grab the vapor and understand it through reason and experience, it's just going to go through your hands. If you accept that mystery, embrace it, and then by faith pursue what God's gonna, or God tells you to do, then you can have everything you want and more. That's where we're headed. And I think one of the things that's so great about Ecclesiastes, how direct it is, we've talked about, we've used the language of like a gut punch or those kinds of things. One of the things I, I think a lot of our readers, some of our, or some of our listeners need to hear, because I need to hear this constantly, is we have to beware of trying to recreate Christian faith in our own image and trying to use God as a means to accomplish our own fame and fortune. So some people, even in their subconscious, are thinking, I'll be a famous pastor. And that'll, that's different. <laughs> but we're still chasing after the same thing. It's not different. And in fact, uh, Jesus spoke directly to that and said, uh, this is now, I'm going to give you my paraphrase and interpretation all at once. There will be people that come to me and say, look at all the ministry stuff I did. I had crusades and I had all these professions of faith and I did all that stuff. And I'm going to say to them, that's awesome. You did that for you and all the people that saw you and you already have your reward. I didn't have anything to do with that. So there's nothing I can give you. See you later. And if, if some of the language in, in Ecclesiastes feels harsh, that's why. It's, the book is trying to jolt us out of that superficial mindset and say, look, there is another way, there is a better way, and you have got to die to this idea of your own reason and experience actually being the thing that works out for your best interest. You have got to let go of that. And what this book is trying to do is really jostle you loose. Now, there's an aspect of this that, um, that I apply, and it may, may be interesting to people. I have a family business, and it has, it has some... some uh, you know, potentially uh, lasting, you know, uh, it could go for multiple generations, could. Uh, so I actually, I actually apply this, I actually apply this very practically. Um, and I focus on trying to train my, my uh, children and to the extent I can, their children, on how to be good stewards. But I don't get to control what they do with that, right? I can control what I do and the perspective I choose, and I can invest in them the um, uh, as much as I, I can invest in them training, be a good example of stewardship. And stewardship is the way to avoid this, this kind of, uh, you know, lifestyle where you end up hating everything because stewardship is viewing everything as I'm taking care of somebody else's stuff. And the part of it I consume, that's my wages. And the rest of it, I'm investing wisely. And, you know, I, can, I may invest in a business that creates jobs for people. And if it's sustainable, that means it's going to be profitable. 
I may invest it in a ministry that does things for people. Um, that's, that's only sustainable to the extent I have a profitable business that can feed that, but doesn't have to be sustainable. You know, that I don't have to give in such a way it depends on me. I'm eventually going to not be there. Somebody else is going to have to take that baton. But still, I can just look at it, everything as stewardship. I'm going to give an account for my stewardship. And when I do that, it, it largely frees me of fear of loss because it's not mine. And so when I hand, I've already handed it over to an extent. So when I die, I didn't lose anything, you know. So there, there's a... There's insight here that I think you can take and apply very practically as well. We saw, uh, uh, Kyle, you might remember where this was from, but uh, just real quickly, we saw a uh, a study or the result of some study where they took a lot of wealthy kids, kids who inherited money from family fortunes, and they looked at different markers like, you know, contribution to society, uh, mental health, a lot of things, mm-hmm. right? And they were looking for um, what were the kind of main differences in the mm-hmm. upbringing between the ones who kind of scored much healthier and the mm-hmm. ones who were just a mess. And the key thing that they discovered clear was the ones who were doing better, their families always communicated a vision of their wealth as mm-hmm. a resource uh, to serve others. Stewardship. Stewardship. Mm-hmm. And the ones who were doing poorly the wealth was always communicated as ours that needs to be protected at all oh, costs and held as tightly as possible. Oh, interesting. Um, which is really interesting and speaks to kind of what, what you're saying, what Solomon is saying here. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure to say you got to hold on to this because every all gravity is trying to take it away from you. Right. Hmm. 24 through 26. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. But who can eat, and who can have enjoyment without him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he is given wisdom and knowledge and joy. While to the sinner he is given the task of gathering and collecting, so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. You know, it strikes me as Kylie's reading this, that we've been talking a lot about how uh, Solomon's exploring his own reason and experience, and that isn't working out, but that there's another way. And we've been saying that all along, but some of you might have been listening up to this point and been like, okay, you guys keep saying that, <laughs> but where is it coming from? Here it is. You know, Solomon is, is saying it in these in these first couple of, of verses. There's nothing better than to eat and drink. Tell yourself that your labor is good. This is from the hand of God. So Solomon is saying here directly that this is the perception that you can adopt. This is the opportunity that you have. The alternative to uh, this tight clenching of your own reason and your own experience is to see all of these things as opportunities to eat and drink and enjoy life and your work and to try and to realize that the difficult element of nature, the hardness of life, is um, directly correlated with some of the benefits on the other side of life and to let that be a freeing and empowering thing that allows you to enjoy and and find meaning and purpose in this life more than you might if you were uh, chasing pointlessly after the wind. And we, we, we uh, he talk, he's very super practical here. He, he doesn't say anything about going to church here. <laughs> right. He's talking about eating and drinking. That, 
that is a that is a hundred percent shared experience of all humans hmm. eating and drinking. So you can't get any more basic than that. Eating, drinking, and telling yourself. So all of us do that. Hmm. the The difference is what do we eat, how, and what do we tell ourselves as we eat and drink. And he says, tell yourself as you eat and drink, and and you eat and drink because you had the money from your job to buy the food and the and and the water or, or whatever it is you drink. Tell yourself your labor is good. Hmm. Take satisfaction in the work that you do, and then enjoy it when you sit down and eat and drink with other people. Enjoy it. Uh, first, first Timothy 6 says, God has given us richly all things to enjoy. So here's the thing I think we'll be held accountable for in heaven. Joey, I think you'll come to the judgment seat of Christ, and he'll say, Joey... I gave you Kylie as a wife. Did you enjoy her? He'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you this. I gave you that. Did you enjoy? I gave you all these opportunities to enjoy yourself. Did you do it? I think we'll be held accountable for that. And Solomon is telling us here, make sure your labor... Well, of course, you need to make sure your labor is good. If you're a thief, I don't think you can do this. But work well... And then enjoy the fruits of it. It's an enjoyment is an attitude. Contentment is something you learn. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, not in some circumstances, in all circumstances. And Paul had some pretty grim circumstances. Mm. He had people chasing him around all the time. He was all in war. He was at war with these uh, uh, competing Jewish authorities all the time. He was misunderstood constantly. He got stoned, shipwrecked, robbed, everything you can think of. And he also had prosperity, which often is a more difficult thing to endure without losing your head. He said, I've, I've, learned, I've learned all those things. And the, 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 the secret is right here in this passage. Who can have enjoyment without him, without God? Mm-hmm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So... The answer to all this is, you know, everything I had, I was given. I, it came from God in the first place. For to a person who's good in his sight, he has given wisdom. So he's being he's being thankful, gratitude for what I have, enjoyment with where I am. That's a perspective to choose, and if you choose that perspective, then you can be happy. It comes from within. It doesn't come from circumstances. One of the key insights that really unlocked the book of Ecclesiastes for me is what he's saying is eat, eating, drinking, working are meaningless in and of themselves. Eating, drinking, and working with God is purposeful. And so what we do is we tend to try to uh, elevate the superficial things to the kingship rather than doing the superficial things under the authority of the king. And that, to me, makes all the difference in the world. And I think that's, the, that's what Ecclesiastes is getting at here. And, and you're so right. The Bible says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So, which just seems so counterintuitive to us. We, we want something. I'm not thankful. I'm, I'm wanting something. I'm missing something. I'm frustrated and longing for something else. But it still tells you to start with thanksgiving. And I think adopting that attitude, that perspective that I am doing this life in, as a participant in the kingdom of God with 
the God of the universe. And I get to experience uh, my life with Kylie. I get to experience food and drink. I get to experience these kinds of, of conversations as a fruit of that intimacy with the Lord. And that is how we escape the madness of Hevel and start to lean into the mysteries of life with God and life on this earth as sources of our uh, foundational sources for our faith and uh, for for a joy that, that passes understanding. We might think about this uh, to this point as the two circles in our servant leadership tool. Solomon started off and said, me, I'm going to figure this out. I've got the resources. I've got the intellect. I've got the insight. If anybody can figure it out, I will. Me. And where the me circle ends up is all is futile. It's madness. I can't, I can't get anything that lasts. I can't get anything that fulfills. But he does have the wisdom to flip over and say, you know where, where real happiness is? We. When I start with faith in God, gratitude, thanksgiving, and a, a willingness to enjoy the process rather than the product, you know what? Life is awesome. That's the we circle. I'm not depending on circumstances of my, pro, of my labor anymore. I'm not depending on wine, women's song anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not depending on prestige anymore. All those are circumstantial. I'm now depending on me acting on my circumstances with gratitude. And that is where happiness comes from. That's it. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.